0: He started a series a couple weeks ago called Identity Theft. I'm still, Rob. It's still nice to see you. And uh, we, in this series, we talked about, this series is really a series about lies, okay? It's the lies that we tell ourselves or the lies we're told that steal our identity. They, if they don't steal our identity, they keep us from finding out our true identity. And, and so we looked at what some of these lies are. We looked the first week at this lie of, I have to be perfect, and we looked at the second week of the lie of this is just the way I am, I can never change. And, uh, and this week we look at another one. Now this whole series is kind of on the premise of John 10.10, 10, where, where Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what the enemy is out to do. He's out to steal our identity. And this came so clear to me. I was working at a Bible camp way back in Wyoming, um, the state, and it was a Bible ranch. And I worked with this guy named Josh, and Josh was like our little fort director, so we had the big camp, and then we had this auxiliary camp, and, and Josh had been there for like seven years, and, and, and yet in my first year, I'm like, gosh, it always seems like Josh walks around with this huge burden, like all the time, like he's just not someone that's full of joy. Um, and. And, like, he's dragging something around. And so one day, like, I asked him, like, Josh, what, what's the deal? And he looked at me, and we were in kind of an appropriately quiet, private space. And, and he just looked at me, and he's like, uh, dude, I, I, can't, I can't tell you. And I'm like, but there is something, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's something. It's, uh, it, it's bad. Like, Well, let's just put it this way, Rob. In four and a half more years, maybe I can tell you. Because that's when the statute of limitations runs out. And I'm like, what did you do? It was so bad. What did you do? Like, what do you get in trouble for that that has a statute of limitations? I mean, I've made some mistakes in my life. I've been called into the principal's office. I've been called into my... My RHD, the residence hall director's office, when I was an RA, and she's like, we're going to temporarily put this in your file, and if nothing happens in the next year, you know, we'll take it out. Um, I actually think I had the same thing happen when I was teaching. And so, like, I have these things, but, but a statue of limitations, that's like, that's huge. And yet, there are a ton of things, I think you'd agree, in our lives that, that don't have a statue of limitations. Um, November 2012 is coming, and that's when we get to go through elections. And so we get to go through these fun times of watching people like, find out really bad things about people that want to run for office, and they put it up, and it's like way more than they wanted you to know. It's probably more than we wanted to know. And, and then they drop out of the race. And so these, these past mistakes, they really just seem to haunt um, not just politicians, but, but all of us, in fact. Um, they seem to be things that, that we're chained to. And so last week, we talked about um, lies that we believed. And, and you put them up, and we locked them in a safe. Um, and, and we took some of them out. You'll see them come up on the screen. Don't worry, they'll be anonymous. And, and over and over and over. And I, like, I, on Tuesday, I had this pretty cool like oh i think this is where god wants me to go with this direction of this message and and then over and over as we look through the cards there were these five words that kept coming up on the page just five i am not good enough over and over and over and so today we're going to look at what god says when we hear the lie i'm not good enough and I'm really excited to have Brandon come up and share part of his story. Brandon hasn't done this before, and so we're going to pray for him. But uh, God's Spirit is here, and he he is on the move. And so uh, I'm just excited for Brandon to share how this has been lived out in his life. So Brandon, why don't you come up? God, we thank you for your word. And um, we just pray right now that... Uh, your presence would be on Brandon and that as he shares, God, it would um, be of you. It would come naturally and uh, we would hear what your word has to say to us as as lived out and lived through Brandon's life. Amen.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to pray real quick. God, you are good. Um, Lord, I come to you just teach, give me absolute humility, Lord, um, and open the hearts and minds of all of us, Lord, that we would walk out of here saying, Jesus, you are, you are awesome, and you have saving power that no nobody has, and uh, Lord, I just pray that not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I pray these things in your holy name, amen. Okay, um, I'm going to start with Romans 8, 5 through 6. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set set their minds on the flesh, on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So in sharing my testimony today, I want to emphasize the lies that Satan uh, led me to believe and how... That led to sins and spiritual death for me. A death from which there's only one way, um, only one true way to escape. So growing up, I inherited the faith of my family. I was brought up in church, um, and I praised the Lord for that. But I didn't have saving faith, and I didn't seek a relationship with the Lord. I believed I was a pretty good kid. I wasn't stealing stuff or vandalizing the neighborhood. Um, and in a booming town of about 1,000 people, I lived a pretty sheltered life and always thought that since I believed that Jesus was real and I was a good kid that that was going to be enough and whenever I would die I would get to the gates of heaven and Jesus would just say, hey, do you believe in me? I would say, yes, I do. You pass. You're in. But the problem is that I didn't make him the Lord of my life. I didn't allow him to have everything that he so graciously had given me and that gave Satan the opportunity to deceive me which led me to think about things of the flesh, as the Bible calls them. Flesh meaning just sinful things. I didn't believe what Romans 8, 7 said. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't obey God's laws, for it cannot. I had three sins that my my mind was set on. Things of the flesh that I believe Satan's lies about sexual immorality, drunkenness and sensuality, and sorcery. First one, I'll start with sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I saw a pornographic image for the first time when I was still in grade school. And over time I learned how to gratify myself, but it wasn't like I was sleeping around. And it really wasn't that big of a deal, especially whenever I found out that all my friends really do the same thing. I just believed that because everyone else did it, that it was okay. And then it was in college where I was led to believe that no one holds out for marriage anymore. And it's just weird if you don't have some experience before you get married. <laughs> um, it's everywhere on TV, so I mean, it's got to be okay, right? You look at all the people on the Jersey Shore... You look at Barney on How I Met Your Mother and they are played off as they are cool and it is the right thing to do. But I believe Satan's lies about this and became more and more addicted to sexual things and as time went by, it became something that consumed my day, my mind, whether it was sexual se- self-indulgence, lusting for ra- random girls, whether it's with your eyes, your heart, or physical, and talking at all with my friends as though it was harmless. Second lie came through drunkenness and sensuality. Throughout high school, praise the Lord, I was in a sports season most of the time, so I didn't drink. But once I got to college, trying it turned into doing it four to five times a week. Drunkenness led me to to many different evils because without a sober mind, I just let Satan into my life to deceive me more and more. I picked up smoking when I was 18 and became addicted like that. I believed the lie that because it was my body, and if I wanted to smoke and drink, I had the right to. Again, I wasn't killing anyone or stealing from someone, but the sin and deception just continued to worsen. Hence the reason, Paul says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, because that is right where I was headed. I felt almost no joy no life and no peace at this time. The last sin that consumed me was sorcery in the form of smoking marijuana. I've heard people say you can't get addicted to pot. It's not like nicotine. It doesn't have an addicting chemical in it. Pornography doesn't have any addicting chemicals in them either. But it's just as addicting. I was so addicted to the high that it became the first thing that I did every morning. The saddest thing said I had to train myself to enjoy it at first. I hated it. it. does some horrible things to the mind. But it was a cool thing to do, and I wanted to join in. All these things got to where they ruled my life, and I got to the point where I didn't even know if there really was a God. I denounced his existence more than once. Then I was asked to be my niece's godfather. How could I be a godfather if I truly doubted there was a God? But I said yes without hesitation. On September 19th, 2010, I was driving home to her baptism, and I stopped in Hayes, Kansas to see some friends and tailgated a football game. Then I planned to head to my niece's baptism early Sunday morning. That night I was pulled over going the wrong way down a one-way street with a blood alcohol content well over two times the legal limit. Some soon-to-be godfather I was spending time in a jail cell six hours before laying hands on my beloved niece to baptize her in Christ's name. The incident really made me start thinking about changing my life. I had to get serious. Me, I was a semester away from graduating. It was time that I take control of my life. Me, I'll do it. All me, I have the will. It's, I, I can do this all on my own. But how I was mistaken. I changed my life around for about a month, which... Looking back on it was actually pretty good. <laughs> um, but it wasn't long, and I was right back into the drinking and the drugs. I tried to stop smoking well more than 20 different times and tried to stop drinking on multiple occasions. And I'd simply given up and given in to my sexual sin. I couldn't overcome these sins by myself no matter how much willpower I really thought that I had. And Romans 8.8 8 hits it right on. Those who are in the flesh or those who are under the control of their sinful nature, they cannot please God. Then by the grace of God, I got a job interview here with a company in Minnesota. I got home, and I prayed probably the only sincere prayer I had prayed in well over four years. I simply said, God, I really don't know about moving to Minnesota and moving away from all that I know. But if I get the job, I'll take it as a sign and move. Not long after the job, not long after I got offered the job, uh, I knew I couldn't decline it. Now, <laughs> um, I knew that moving would be a life-changing experience, but I had no idea what he had in store for me. I thought maybe a new place would help me put my past behind me, but as soon as I got here, I met an intern at work, immediately got plugged back into the party scene, found a drug dealer, and continued to drive even though I didn't have a driver's license. I guess I felt as though I was above all things. And by God's sovereign grace, the Lord gave me one connection to a family who was part of restoration. And they invited me to join them. Over time, I got to know the people here and enjoyed the fellowship, although I still was not sure about the whole God thing and I kept a safe distance from it. Then, by the grace of God, I got a call from Pastor Rob um, one evening to meet with him and to hear my story. After the conversation and praying with him, (laughs) the Lord opened my eyes, Praise God, um, and I knew that how I'd been living was wrong, and he just lifted the veil to the sin that I was living in. And by God's grace and God's grace alone, he started to get me serious about my relationship with him. But there was still one very big problem, and that was in my heart, I felt, how could I be forgiven for the horrible sins that I lived in over the past 23 years?
0: You hear some of the lies that Brandon had in his life? Lies that he carried around? Maybe there are lies that that you carry around too that the biggest one that Brandon, I think, shared was that that his life was just the sum total of all his past mistakes. You even heard it in his testimony. Here are the three big things that ruled my life. They're just my past mistakes. Maybe you have failed at something. And, and you sit around and go through your head that says, I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to be successful because I failed so many times. Or I'm just going to be average. I'm never going to be good at something. I'm just going to have an average job. I'm going to have average grades. I'm going to have an average life. And maybe you thought and dreamed about having this great marriage, except... Um, You haven't really ever found the right person. And if you found the right person, you weren't the right person. Or you thought you found the right person, and they weren't the right person. So now you're sitting alone, and you're wondering, am I worth less because I'm alone? Or maybe you had that marriage, or you thought that you had that great marriage, and one day you ended up divorced. And now not only do you feel like a failure, like everyone sees a big F on your t-shirt, but now possibly, and I've heard this story before, you have kids and they heard things that they should never have heard about you by that X. And, and so now you're fighting through that and wondering, am I ever going to be good enough for them, If I am, ever going to be good enough for somebody else? These chains come in the form of parents who do the best they can, but by all definitions would be called bad parents. Or bad coaches, people in your life that, that don't bring encouragement, but instead bring criticism. And every time you do something wrong, all they do is bring criticism. And not only do they bring the criticism of that thing that you did, but they bring up the last thing and the last thing and the last thing and the last thing. And so you figure out, like, I, I just, I can't do this. Or maybe you have fights with your spouse or fights with your friends. And, and again, you're like, I, I just I, they say things like, you, you, you're just going to get this wrong. You're just never going to be good at this. And so you start to believe this, or probably the worst thing I can think of is, is the hundreds and thousands of, of children that have been abused or uh, molested by people, and, and, and somehow they think it's their fault, somehow they think they did something wrong. Or they say things like, well, well, since something awful happened to me, I must be awful. Since I live in shame and guilt, then I must not be worthy of love. I'm just not good enough. Probably the one, as a pastor, that chaps my heart the most is when I hear someone's church experience. And they say, well, I did Acts And then I wasn't welcome in the church anymore. And again, they heard, not good enough. Now, I don't know about you, but in a moment of honesty, something that I've had to fight every day is you know, when somebody says, when I do something good and somebody's like, oh, that was awesome. I'm like, yes, I'm great. And then when I do something bad, I'm like, oh, I'm a loser. No one else? Just, this, I'm the only person that struggles with what other people think? Okay, well, we can have a corner for the people that need to confess lying, but good for you. Good for you if you don't struggle with other people's opinions. You know, I read about this guy named Blaise Pascal because he was a theologian and a mathematician, two things close to my heart. And, and he says this. He says, um, God made humans in his own image, and we return the compliment. God made humans in his own image, and so we return the compliment, meaning uh, that we project onto God our own attitudes about ourselves. So if I feel hatred towards myself, then I think God feels hatred towards me. And, and this back and forth that Brandon talked about of wanting this godly life but then living this sinful life is the exact same thing that the writer Paul is talking about in the letter to these people in Rome. They're Jews and they're Christians and they're trying to understand who Jesus is and he goes back and forth for several chapters on, on the sin and the godliness and the sinfulness and the godliness and, and it's smack dab in the middle of Romans 7. If you have a Bible, it's in verse 18. We're going to just walk through a few verses of scripture right now that I think speak exactly to this. Romans 7, 18 says, I want to do what is right, but I don't. I want to do what is good, but I can't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Skip down to verse 24. So he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. So you see how it is in my mind? I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. I'm trapped by it. And some of us live in this point every day. We feel like we're carrying something around that we don't want anyone to know. Last week, we called it strongholds. And, and it's like our theme verse could be, could be verse 18 and 19 and 24. Oh, oh, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I wish I could do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I'm a miserable person. Wouldn't we just say, I'm not good enough? And if you live in that, and you carry those things around they can start to become a part of who you are. And then, you know, for, for the enemy, he just wins. Because the whole point, the whole premise, the whole crux of our series is that a lie that we believe is true will affect us as if it's true. If we think we can never get away from our stuff and we'll just drag it around with us, if we think that's true, then we'll live that as if it's true. If somebody's told us, you're awful, you're never going to amount to anything, you're so wrong, we'll start to believe that that's true. And, and we can try to do it on our own. Brandon said, oh yeah, yeah, I, I try to do it on my own. If you are around my age, um, which is always a scary thing to say, but uh, growing up, I watched Saturday Night Live a bit, and there was this guy named Stuart Smalley, and he had a red toupee and a very baby blue cardigan and a lisp. And he would get up in front of the mirror. He was a self-proclaimed self-help person. And he would say, you know what? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. And, and I thought that that would work. Like, I'm like, okay, I don't feel good about myself. I'll just do some positive vis- visualization. I'll put some like good sayings up on my mirror, and um, you know I will do some self-esteem boosters. I'm going to even go to the weight room because that was going to when the football team wasn't there. By the way, because it would have not worked if they were. Um, but if I just if I go to the weight room, if I think of these things, then then maybe I'll think I'm good enough. But like Brandon, it didn't last, and I was just back at the same spot. And so if you believe this lie that you're not good enough, what do you do with it? Well, what did Paul do? Romans 8, 1, one of the most amazing verses of Scripture. Right after he says, what a wretched man I am. I can't get rid of this life of sin. I'm not good enough. But then he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, big word. There is no judgment for those who are in Christ. There is no declaration of guilt on our lives for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no dissatisfaction or disappointment for those who are in Christ. Why? Next verse. The reason there's no condemnation for us, is because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We live by a new set of rules now. He says it another way in the next verse. He says, the law of Moses was unable to do. This old covenant, these these chapters that we read about um, from Genesis to Malachi, of this law of saying, God's saying, here's how to live with me. Here's how... I'm gonna be your God and you're gonna be my people and these, they tried and they failed and they tried and they failed and they tried and they failed and Jesus comes and he fulfills it and now they're set free. Now this law, it says in verse three, this, this law was unable to save us because we were weak in the flesh. We are weak in our sinful nature and so God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son in human form, flesh as it was, Tempted by sin and yet didn't sin. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son Jesus as a sacrifice. And he breaks the chain and removes it, and we no longer have to carry it around. The result is that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, it says in verse 4, so that. We no longer have to follow our sinful nature, but instead we can follow the Spirit. So as my friend Tim says in The Essentials for Spiritual Growth, he says, we're forgiven and set free. Not just from our past sin, not just from our present sin, but we're set free from our future sin. Fathom that for a second. God knows the things that we're going to do, and he's going to forgive us anyway if we're in Christ. We are set free from our past our present and our future sin so that we can live this new life with Jesus. We're set free not just from the past, present, and future sin, but from the penalty of sin, from the guilt of sin, and from the power of sin so that we can know God and live this new life. And that's the question that Brandon was faced with. He's going to come back up.
1: So as I was struggling with uh, truly believing that God would welcome me with open arms, with all my past mistakes and sin, I called my cousin Jay. Jay's a very godly man, and I expressed my concern, and he said something to me that was clearly straight from the Holy Spirit, (laughs) and it saved my life. He said, Brandon, the Apostle Paul was a murderer, and the Lord used him for amazing things. Then he said, who do you think you are? Is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made by spreading, by shedding his blood not good enough for you? Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Is the image of the invisible God who is sinless, who took on all sin, who was beaten for my transgressions, then stretched out his arms, let sinners nail him to a tree, and shed his blood for me and for you. Then said, it is finished. Can you say I'm not good enough? Jesus, what you did for me, can I say that that was not good enough for me? After Jay said those words, I got off the phone with him. I knelt down and just said, Lord, I surrender my life to you. All of it, my family, my job, my clothes, all my possessions, all my sins. I lay them up on the altar. I can't live this life without you, Jesus. And then the most amazing thing happened. He cleansed me of all my unrighteousness right there. He removed the burden of sin and nailed it to the cross and said, I made you exactly how you are and because of me, you are good enough. Within four days, I quit drinking, smoking cigarettes, smoking marijuana, and self-indulging. And since then, I have not smoked cigarettes, smoked marijuana, drank nor have I fallen into self-gratification or looked at a pornographic image one time. God has put a hedge around me to protect me from those sins that were destroying me. And the most glorious thing of all is that he opened my eyes, gave me understanding to the key of life, which is right here. We've got an awesome God. The creator of the universe, the maker of all things, he knit us together in our mother's womb that God is seeking us. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The feast is good. <laughs> um, how glorious is it that all we have to say is, Jesus, oh, how I want you and need you in my life, and I believe that you are my Lord and Savior, and I want you to be the king of my life. It'll lead right back to Romans eight. But to set the mind on the Spirit, his life, and peace.
0: Proud of you. Jesus completely fulfilled the law. He did everything on our behalf that we couldn't do. Do you think I mean do you get it? He like he came and became who we are. And who are we? We're weak. We're human. We're subject to sin's power. We're people who would say, I'm not good enough. So do we think that we should pick up the chains that, that he freed us from and we should still carry those around and try to do a good job of hiding them, you know, by having really good friends or really nice clothes or... Um, Just saying, like, how's it going when we're at church? And being like, I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's great. Or do we say, you know what? It's not. I'm not good enough. I don't have to be because Jesus came to be what we are. He came to be not good enough. He came to be weak. He came to be human. And in that, he conquered sin and he let us become what he was. It's this beautiful exchange. He became weak so that we could become strong. He became sin even though he didn't know sin so that we could become sinless. We could become holy. We could become right with God and that's why we're set free. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, there's some things on the mirrors and there's some things in your life, I'm guessing, because I know there's things in mine as I prepared. And, And just in these moments of of us closing here before we sing this song, just ask God, God, what are the areas of my life that I've been dragging around? Maybe it was a lie that that you wrote down last week. Maybe it's a stronghold. Maybe it's the same thing that you're dragging around this week. What what are you going to do with it? Are you going to keep dragging it around? Jesus untied it. He unchained it. He wants you to leave it at the cross. Don't give it to me because I won't know what to do with it, but give it to Jesus. He will. You can walk over to one of the mirrors in a moment, and there'll be a tissue right by him. And if you want to just symbolically say, I'm getting rid of that, God, you can have it. Just wipe one off. It doesn't have to be the one you may have written. Just, I want you to have this. I don't want it anymore. And as you erase that, what I really want you to do, what I really want to challenge you to do, and God can do this. He did it for Brandon. He's done it several times in my life. I know he can do this. As you erase that, you need to, um, or I challenge you to erase the negative tapes, eight tracks if you're older, cassettes if you're younger, CDs or MP3s, whatever you like, whatever those videos are, or those recordings that are etched in your mind that somebody else said, or that you've told yourself over and over, that you're your past mistakes or your other people's opinions. You're not those things. You're what God says. He set you free and there's no condemnation. So as you erase that, you erase those negative images and you say there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no declaration of guilt. There's no dissatisfaction for me who is in Christ. And as you walk back to your seat, think about who you can tell